Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Good morning, Living Word. Well, you know what? Considering all of the traveling, there's uh, the men's conference down at Rama. there's a camp out, there's a number of things going on this weekend, a number of people we know are gone, busy doing something else. All things considered, this is not a bad crowd. Good to see you this morning. Good to see you, Pastor Scott. In, uh, of course, one of the first things we do at this point in the service is release the children, but we're not going to do that just this second. In fact, hey, Riley, toss me that pouch. And uh, children, before you go to class, students, come up here. Just take a seat on the uh, steps here. We're going to have a little good old-fashioned chat with the children. Anybody ever had that in your uh, church growing up? Gather around while I introduce you to my friends, Herbert and Hubert. If you grew up in the same church I did, you know what I'm talking about. Our pastor would have little faces drawn on his thumbs and act out a Bible story with two turtles. <sighs> that was the inspiration for Cuckoo, wasn't it? Cuckoo the turtle, Lisa? She's not paying attention. How you guys doing? Are you really? Well, if you paid attention in English class, you would have said, I'm doing well. You probably are doing, no, that's right. I like that answer because Jesus went about doing good, didn't he? You know what these are? They're coins. You know what kind of coins they are? Do you know how much one of these coins is worth? One dollar. You're right. Anybody want one? I've been saving these for a special occasion. I really have. I, I, I gather these up. I take them for change when I can. I stash them away until I figure out something fun to do with them. So I'm going to give them to you today, okay? Oh, some of them are, most of them are president ones, some are the Sacagawea ones. Why? Which are better? It depends which president is the answer. No, you're right. Listen, uh, I want to tell you first of all, before I share with you what I'm going to share with you, how much Beth and I enjoyed reading your cards for Pastor Appreciation Day. It's always one of the highlights. I love all the messages you guys write, but the children's cards are the best. And uh, I'm not going to point out any favorites. There's just one that sticks in my mind. I think it was yours. There were two dolphins on it. Did you have stencils or did you draw those? Stencils. And they were kind of, whatever they call that, preaching or bouncing through the waves. And, and one dolphin is saying, hey. And the other dolphin is saying, you're great. That was a great message that God used you to put in the mouth of those dolphins to bless me. So thank you. We love those. Uh, I also want to tell you that you are a part of this church. That is honestly how I see you. You are not just the children of somebody who is part of this church. You're a part of Living Word Family Church, and I'm really glad you are. And even though you have to leave this room in a moment... I want you to understand that we do this for you, too. Rainy, would you mind putting that? Oh, you're getting a picture? Never mind. Snap away. Uh, hey, wait a second. Let's get this out of the way first. Got it, Rainy? Okay. Children, you're supposed to be looking at me in awe while we do that. Want to try it again? All right. We recruit these teachers and plan these classes 
so that uh, we want you to know Jesus better at the end of this day. We want you to know your Bibles better at the end of this day. And so these classes are for you because we want to prepare you for the next thing that God has for you. And, uh, but we don't have you for much time in these classes. Um, somebody tell me, this might sound unconnected to you. Titus, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite meal? Pizza? <clears throat> Good answer. Now, what's your favorite pizza? Do you have one? Pepperoni? If I told you I will give you your favorite pizza, favorite pepperoni pizza, but you can only have that for the week. You can't eat anything else. Is that a good deal? It is? Like, you could have pizza for lunch today, but you can't eat again until next Sunday. Is that a good deal? Wow. You can't eat leftovers. It's just lunch. Okay. Kip, Becky, we got to have a talk after this. Or, or maybe we should have planned this. All right, how about you? What's your favorite meal? Lasagna? Would you take that deal? Lasagna today and don't eat again until next Sunday? No. Why? You're going to get hungry. One meal a week is not going to keep you full. It's probably not going to let you survive very long, good as pizza is. You've got to eat every day. I eat several times a day. One piece a day? How about one pizza a day? Yeah. But this is, the, this is what I'm trying to get. I think what we're serving you today in class is a good meal spiritually. But I want you to eat every day. If you can read, and a lot of you can, read your Bible every day. Read a Bible story every day. If you can't read, ask mom or dad to read to you or a big brother or sister to read to you. But you've got to get that into your spirit so that you can be healthy, so that you can continue to grow. And this is what we're going to be talking about in big church. We're going to start talking about it today and continue next week. But the thing that's so important about knowing the Bible is not so you know what the Bible says, but so that you know what to do. It's not pleasing in the eyes of God just to know his word. It's pleasing in the eyes of God to do his word. That's why we've got to know it. I'm going to give you an example with these coins. you distribute those to that side of the stairs and you distribute those and give me the leftovers everybody gets one it's only a dollar i know it's not a ton of money but make sure everybody gets one pass them pass them down i'm giving you this money it's yours you can do whatever you want with it but what i'm asking you to do today is put that money in the offering that's my heart is for you to take this dollar from me, and then it becomes your dollar, and then you put it in the offering. You guys take up offering in class, right? Yeah, we do in here too. We're going to do that in a little bit, and you better give more than a dollar. No, you give as the Lord has blessed you. But here's what God says. Uh, he says that when you give, do you know what he says about that? That if you give, it will be given back to you. Are we short over there? Everybody get one? All right, thank you. If you give, it will be given back to you. God will see to it that it's given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and then running over. That's what God says. Not only that, God commands us to bring the tithe. Now, a tithe is how much? How much is a tithe of this dollar? Anybody know? This is a tricky one. Ten cents. That's right. 
Ten cents is the tithe. That's what God commands. He also says bring, bring offerings. So I'm asking you, not telling you, but I'm asking you to give that dollar as an offering to God. But God, he commands us to give. He commands us to bring the tithe. But even though he's God and even though he tells us, he doesn't make us. He doesn't force us. What he does say is here's where the blessing is. I've made my will known to you. My will is that you bring this, that you bring the tithe, you pay the tithe, you bring an offering. My promise to you is if you do, you'll be blessed. So what I would like you to consider doing, in fact, what I would like you to do, even though I can't make you do it and nobody's going to, Sunday school teachers, don't force them. I would like you to believe God, trust God, put that in the offering today, and see what God does to multiply it back to you. And when he does, I want you to tell me. Can you do that? Next week, tomorrow, you can call me, whatever, and say, Pastor Scott, here's what happened. Here's how God blessed me when I obeyed him with that dollar you gave us. Does that sound like a, like a deal? You sure? All right, now, you're going to be dismissed here in two seconds, three seconds, five seconds, we'll see. Number of seconds you're going to be dismissed. My last word to you is pay attention in class. This is for your time of equipping so that tomorrow, next week, next year, and then a few years in the future, you are productive, vital members of this church that you're already a part of. And many of you already are. You guys are a blessing. I love you. Go to class. Listen well. Teachers, take charge of your students. Let's give them a hand as they go. We love you guys. <laughs> I would love to know what they're saying on their way out. All right. Anybody worshiping with us for the first time, if this is your first time joining us at Living Word Family Church, raise your hand, wave it around. We've got a card for you to fill out. If you'll turn that in at the Welcome Center after service, we've got a gift for you. I don't see any hands. So let's move on to the next thing. We've got a lot of announcements. Try to get through these quickly. Girls' ministry is meeting tonight at 6 o'clock in the Super Church room. There are uh, no Royal Rangers tonight. Today is also the last day to order Little Caesars pizza kits from both of these organizations. If you haven't ordered any yet, and you want to, and you do want to, uh, find a ranger, find a girls' ministry girl, and order them today. They'll be hanging out in the lobby. They'll be on the lookout for you, so you be on the lookout for them. Girls' ministry also sold some cookbooks a couple of years ago, and there are some of those left over, so they are selling those. Those are recipes from people here at Living Word Family Church, and it's a nice little cookbook. If you don't have one, you ought to get one. They also make great gifts. Christmas is around the corner, and those are for sale out there, I think, at the uh, information desk. Uh, tomorrow, uh, of course, Monday, 7 o'clock uh, in, in the evening is prayer in the fellowship hall. Small groups meet throughout the week. Solid Rock Youth Group, Wednesday, 7 p.m. in the youth room, and Saturday is men's prayer at 7 a.m. in the fellowship hall. Coming up, if you uh, take a tour through our lobby, and Pastor Mike will uh, remind you of some of these after service today. We have a ton of sign-ups out there, three tables worth, some at the information desk, some right outside my office, and some under what we call the pizza window at the bookstore. But we need your help with a lot of stuff. Um, there's, uh, there's one whole table for, for help with the ladies' tea. 
And uh, so check those things out. Sunday, November 21st at 6 p.m. is the St. Joseph Community Thanksgiving service where the other churches in St. Joe will be joining us here for a Thanksgiving service. We'll be doing praise and worship. Uh, Andy Jones from the Lutheran Church will be bringing the word that night. Other pastors will be participating, but we also as the host church are providing uh, cookies and drinks at the end, and we need your help with that. Sign-up table's out there. We'll need help with cleanup from that as well. Saturday, November 27th at 9 in the morning, that's Hanging of the Greens. That's a Saturday after Thanksgiving. That's where we decorate the church for the Christmas season, and we'd love your help with that. And uh, if you are available that Tuesday before Thanksgiving to come in and help us prep, you know, haul stuff out, get, get it ready uh, for Saturday, uh, if you can come Tuesday morning that week, that would be great. Get us a head start on that. Wednesday, December 1st, this is exciting, at 7 p.m. at the Phoenix Theater. That's the old Savoy 16 in Savoy. There's a special showing of a movie called uh, Christmas with the Chosen Messengers. So these are the same people who produced the Chosen TV series or, or miniseries. I don't know how many of you have seen this yet. The uh, Oh, wonderful, wonderful show. The best Jesus on screen I have ever seen. Uh, best New Testament on screen I've ever seen. Anyway, they produced a Christ Christmas movie in the very limited release. They're only showing it for one, maybe two nights, and we, are, we get the theater to ourselves for one night, for that night I just said, and we are inviting the other churches in town. The size of the theater we get depends on how many people sign up to go. You pay at the door, but we just need to know how many are coming so that we can go ahead and let them know so maybe we get the big theater. But... There is a sign-up sheet for that, and uh, can we go ahead and show that? We've got a promo for that, right? A preview or something? Do you know where Luke is? Do you know where Luke is? I didn't tell him everything. Go tell it on the mountain. Joseph, we can't keep looking. He's coming. You've seen this. It's time. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Remember what your messenger said. The first thing. Don't be afraid. People must know. I am excited about that. But anyway, we need you to sign up for that so we can give them a head count. And, of course, Saturday, December 4th at 2 p.m. is the ladies' Christmas tea. And they are, we have a few uh, work and prep days leading up to it. Sign up for that outside my office. Uh, also, another thing we could use your... And men, by the way, uh, you can serve with that as well. As far as prepping for the ladies' tea and serving at the ladies' tea, there's a sign up for men out there as well. Uh, we need your help also with the information table. Gary Chase has been a blessing, very, very faithful in being our attendant at that table, but he's going to be gone for a few weeks coming up, and we need somebody to volunteer or at least take a shift in volu volunteering to uh, attend that table on Sunday mornings from approximately 10 after 9 until the service starts, and then uh, again after the service for 15 or 20 minutes. If you can fill that slot, if you can help us out there, please sign up for that in the lobby. We don't want to leave that table unattended. 
And now it is time to continue worshiping the Lord with our giving. I brought you all a dollar. No, I didn't. There's not enough to go around here. Riley, let me put that back in my chair and stay out of it. Uh, <laughs> there he goes. If I hadn't said anything, he'd have stayed out of it. You heard what I said to the kids, right? You know what's exciting uh, and significant is everything that you have. Say, oh, it'd be nice if, some, if, the, if the pastor or an usher or somebody gave me the money to put in the offering when I came here. Somebody did give you that money, didn't they, though? No, I worked for it. Who gave you the health? Who gave you the opportunity, the ability, the giftings to do the job you're doing to earn that money? Everything ultimately comes from the hand of God. Am I right? So God did give you every dime in your pocket. He provides everything for you. He provides bread to the eater and seed to the sower, but it's all his provision. And his command is to return the tithe to him. He also invites us, even commands us, to bring the offering to him. This is a wonderful opportunity to obey the simple direction and commands of the Lord. It should be one of the easiest things to do. Many people find it the hard, one of the hardest things to do. I love everything about Christianity. I even like the church, except when they start talking about money. I wonder how many people said that about Jesus, because he talked about money a lot. And thank God, I am preaching to the converted. I know, mostly, probably 90% of you already agree with this. This is nothing but a great opportunity to give. You get excited about this moment. This is a giving church. I commend you for that. But I remind you again, I remind myself again that this isn't a time to pay the bills. This isn't just a time to say, yes, sir. This is a time to rejoice in this privilege, in this opportunity to pour our resources into the kingdom of God. We used to live on the edge of our seats when it came to the things of the kingdom because we were so convinced that time was short. I'm talking about when back in the 80s when many of us thought we weren't going to get out of the 80s before Jesus came back. Actually, we thought before the rapture happens, and many of us have adjusted our theology uh, concerning that. But it doesn't matter. We know this is going to wrap up someday. And what we're seeing and hearing lately is the stirrings, this kind of a return to that sense of urgency. Nobody wants to put a date on it. Nobody should put a date on it. But uh, I can say this categorically, and I can't say I heard a word from the Lord on this, but I promise you I'm right. And that's a pretty bold statement, but I promise you this is true. Today, we are closer to the return of Christ than we were yesterday. <laughs> Amen? Pretty bold prophecy, right? Uh, and we're getting closer all the time. Things are speeding up, winding down, whatever you want to say. I want to be found with my hand to the plow. And when I'm not speaking or when I'm not sleeping, uh, I want to be giving. I want to be doing everything I can to enable everybody who's called to do what they were called to do. And God has hooked us up with some wonderful ministries. Uh, as I mentioned last week, John Grunewald will be here in, uh, I think, December 12th, that Sunday. He's a wonderful guy. He's in charge of Rama Europe. He has, he has uh, seen some things and done some things, and he has been privileged to be a part of many things that I know you're going to be excited to hear about. He's a wonderful speaker, a speaker and a wonderful friend, and he's just one of many that we support on a regular basis and are able to support on a regular basis because of your faithful giving. And, of course, 
we all agree that Living Word Family Church is good ground. Amen? If you're giving cash this morning, and make sure you get a receipt for that for tax purposes, raise your hand. The ushers will get you an envelope. Otherwise, checks get made out to Living Word Family Church or simply LWFC. Sorry, I should have done that before I gave my little talk on the offering. Praise the Lord. Everybody get an envelope that needs one? Are you ready to give this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these ministries and these missionaries. Thank you for the assurance that you uh, will provide for us, not just barely, but abundantly, that you are a superabundant provider who provides a superfluity of riches and resources for us to, do, to, to support and provide for every good work that comes along. We, uh, we delight in participating in the work of your kingdom, so therefore we give joyfully, we give hilariously, we give willingly, we give obediently, we give expectantly this morning knowing that you are going to fulfill everything you've set out to fulfill in this world and that you are going to fulfill the promises you've made to the giver. We are givers. We thank you for the opportunity to give in your kingdom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Ushers, serve the people. Oh, sorry, forgot one big thing. It's two offerings today. It's Mission Sunday. Uh, so if you need another envelope, uh, raise your hand. Uh, this is a specific offering that goes into our mission fund so that we can uh, be a blessing to the, the when certain needs come up for, from our missionaries. Uh, for instance, uh, several years ago, the Cooks needed a new radio tower or a new power source for their radio station or something. It was like five grand or something. Maybe it was more than that. But we were able to give a big chunk of that so that they didn't have to wait six months to get this thing fixed. Sometimes it helps us to round up uh, the offering when a guy like Mark Grunewald comes in here. But that just helps us. It's a good, nice little cushion for our mission fund. Uh, so if you can give into that and be an extra blessing, that's great. If you, and you just make out your second check to Living Word Family Church and, and put it in that second offering. First offering is for the general offering for the church. Second offering is the mission offering. Sorry about that. Ushers, go ahead and serve the people now. Now, goodness gracious, it's almost 1030. You guys just want to go home, pick this up next week? No, of course you don't. We've spent the last few weeks talking about every believer a minister, the importance of faithfulness, the importance of running your race, the truth that we are not graded uh, against one another, that a certain calling isn't the equivalent of a certain rank in the kingdom of God. I'm going to be uh, rewarded and judged on the basis of what God has called me to do. You are not going to be judged against me. We are not going to be judged against Billy Graham. He has set your race before you, my race before me, and the only thing that matters is that we do what we are called to do when it comes to rewards in the kingdom of God. We talked about uh, the difference between occupational ministry and full-time ministry, clergy versus laity, but we are all full-time ministers. And last week, we looked at the ministry of three people who were not called to church leadership, not called to pulpit ministry, but had an enormous impact on people, on thousands of people, in their spheres of influence. We looked at Stephen, we looked at the woman at the well, and we looked at the gathering demoniac. Uh, please, please go back and listen to that message if you missed it. It was one of my favorite messages that I've ever preached. Now, what we focused on is that if every believer took their ministry that seriously, the result would be many, many more people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Not everyone will be saved. 
Let me start with an observation. Uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I make frequent references to social media or things that I read on the internet. And I hate the same things about Facebook that a lot of you hate. But I gotta be honest, I love, one of the things I love, more, really more than anything that I love about Facebook is the opportunity it provides to reconnect with people that I haven't seen or heard from sometimes in decades. Just get, a, just get that idea, somebody will pop into your mind and say, whatever happened to them? Are they even still alive? Type their name into Facebook, you know, and then hopefully their name isn't John Smith uh, or something like that, but, uh, and, and you can use some filters to try to track them down, and I've done that successfully many times, just go into stalker mode and track people down. But uh, I had a, uh, let me tell this story just as an example. When uh, mom and dad were going to Ramah, and dad has told uh, part of this story before, we started attending a church in downtown Tulsa called Faith Christian Fellowship, pastored by Buddy Harrison, who was uh, Brother Hagen's son-in-law. And it was a wonderful church, wonderful youth group, thriving church, but it was a drive. It was a hassle to get to downtown Tulsa every Sunday and every Wednesday. And partly for financial reasons, partly because of just everybody was so busy and working so hard, we started attending. Uh, I don't remember at what point we were, uh, if it was during the first year, during the second year, but for a while we started attending a church right there in Broken Arrow, very, very near to where we lived. There, a pastor with a very great rep. In fact, the pastor was, this, was a speaker at the very first camp meeting. So he was in that camp. And, uh, and it was good. It was a good church. And uh, met some fun people there, people we enjoyed. They were serious about the Lord. And when Dad tells this story, what he talks about is it wasn't that this was a bad church and the other church was a good church. It was where did God call us to go? And uh, he would talk about when we finally listened to God and went back to FCF in downtown Tulsa, some things turned around, some lights went on, some, he, he began to receive some direction. I was seeing it all, a little worm's eye view, looking at it from youth group. I didn't like it as well, it wasn't as big, it wasn't as fun, but I liked uh, our youth leader, our youth pastor, and, and then somewhere along the line, our guy, uh, our youth leader, left to do some other things, went on the road, and we got a volunteer youth leader. His name was Mike. I remember his last name, I'm just not gonna share it right now, it doesn't matter. But he was a volunteer youth leader. He was a Ramah student himself. I'm guessing he was 10 or 15 years older than us, wouldn't you say, Cheryl? And he looked a little bit like a motorcycle hoodlum. Long black hair, looked like he maybe had some Italian blood in him, and he was a little rough around the edges. And he would tell us some fun stories about when th some things when he was younger. But you could tell he loved the Lord. And uh, he's teaching uh, us out of the Bible. In our little youth group, it was really not much more than a Bible study. There may have been 10 or fewer of us there. But we still look forward to going. And we were talking, we were going to speak that. He was going to speak to us tonight about the redeeming power of God, how God can use anybody. And his example was going to be Rahab. How many of you know who Rahab was? Remember her from the book of Joshua? Well, I had been saved for a number of years at this time, at least three years. And uh, I sadly tell you that I was one of those guys that the Bible describes as having zeal but little knowledge. 
I wanted, I was saved, and I took my salvation seriously enough to want to share Jesus with as many people as I could. I couldn't stand the thought of any of my friends going to hell, not going to heaven. But I didn't know much of the Bible, to be honest. I knew some of the Bible stories, but I couldn't thread it together remotely. Uh, so I, I didn't know who Rahab was. And most of us in that group didn't know who Rahab was. So what Mike did was say, open your Bible. Is that what you're on right, right now, your Bible app, son? Open your Bible to Joshua and start reading it. And the first person who can tell me what Rahab did for a living wins. Didn't offer a surprise. It was just kind of a little Bible drill. How fast can you read this stuff? And so I'm reading it, and I, I'm, I'm scanning it as quick as I can because I have no idea who Rahab is. And I'm reading, and I see the phrase Joshua, son of Nun. So I said, she was a nun. <laughs> what was Rahab? Yeah. Mike just leans back and his eyes get big. He goes, oh, she wasn't no nun. <laughs> she was a harlot. That's what she did for a living. I, that story has very little to do with what I'm talking about other than I remember it and I remember him. I remember his demeanor. I, I have an old Bible, uh, the Bible I had during that uh, period of my life. And inside the cover of that Bible, I have his name and his phone number and a couple notes from that Bible study. And it wasn't long after that that we picked up and moved back to FCF. And I'm not kidding, I have never seen him since. And then I looked him up on Facebook. And I'm delighted to report to you that even though he probably didn't, doesn't have specific memories of me, he was thrilled to hear from me. He's retired from pastoring after nearly 40 years had recently lost his wife to cancer. He's working a secular job in his retirement and spending his free time mentoring young men in the Word of God. I've never heard of him. Whatever, wherever he pastored, whatever he did, it didn't make a splash across Rama circles. I don't know how big his church ever was. I don't know if, he was, if it was ever able to support him completely. I have no idea. I'm just thrilled that this guy has stayed the course. That is a refreshing thing when you remember some, I knew so-and-so who was a fired-up Christian back in the day, and then 40 years later, 45 years later, you find out they're still a fired-up Christian. That is a great thing to know. On the other end of the spectrum, however, there are sadder stories. Now, of course, we all know of famous or semi-famous, or I guess I would call church-famous, leaders, pastors, ministers who fall into sin or abandon the faith. There was a famous writer, many of you would know who I'm talking about. He exploded onto the scene uh, a couple decades ago, I guess, uh, when he is a very young man, very young author. I think, I'm not even sure he was out of his teens when he wrote the book about dating from a Christian perspective, asking us to reexamine the whole practice of dating. And he was a darling and a favorite, especially among uh, homeschool families. And he was being invited to huge conferences. And then he headed up a parachurch ministry. And then I believe pastored for a while. And then somehow, over the course of uh, several years, faded out of the spotlight. He just, whatever happened to so and so. And then he re-entered the spotlight just a few years ago to say he no longer considers himself a Christian. 
Now, I don't know what exactly happened. I think a lot of it is likely attributable to what the author Tom Wolfe called publicity deprivation. Publicity deprivation. I don't know how many of you are uh, enough of a history buff or old old enough to remember Hubert Humphrey. He was a very, uh, he was a fiery speaker. Uh, He was considered a uh, wildly liberal politician. He was a senator, and of course what passed for liberalism back then looks a lot like the conservatism of today, but it's, it's regardless, he was one of these firebrands. He wasn't one of these, oh, which, which one? Everybody knew who Hubert Humphrey was. And then he became vice president under Johnson, right? And you know what happens when you come, become vice president, right? Nobody ever hears from you again. You don't get to go out there and make your fiery speeches. You've got to toe the line. And in fact, uh, Tom Lehrer, a fairly well-known satirist, wrote a, wrote a song about him. And when he introduced it, he said to the audience, I wonder how many, and this was during the Johnson presidency, when Humphrey was this, you know, the number two spot in the country. And he said, I wonder how many of you here tonight remember Hubert Humphrey. He used to be a senator. That's kind of funny when you think about it, because now he's the vice president of the United States, and nobody ever hears him. Publicity deprivation is something that a lot of vice presidents have had to deal with, and it's what a lot of ministers. If you explode onto the Christian scene as a super famous minister, and then suddenly your moment passes, and your fame diminishes, what happens to your faith? Now, I'm not saying this guy was just so starved for attention that he had to get back in the headlines somehow. But if you read some of the sad things, the, the trajectory of this, it's a, I think it's at least part of the formula. Let me kind of rephrase this. If your identity as a believer is wrapped up in accolades, in the spiritual zeitgeist, the spirit of the moment, the spirit of the age, then when that moment passes, the fame passes with it. The risk is that your belief will pass with that. Young people in here, listen to me. Some of you may find yourself five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, maybe shorter than that. Maybe you will be preaching before thousands. Maybe you will be singing before thousands. You may have a, a, a uh, ministry, a public ministry, much more prominent than the one I currently occupy. You may may become church famous, but don't forget that your identity, who you are, is a son of God, a daughter of God. That is who you are. And And when a certain phase of your ministry ends, you are not only still a child of God, you are still a minister. Much more common, as a matter of fact, sadly, is seeing young people. I've been there for 16 years. I attended uh, summer camp with our youth group for uh, a number of years and then continued to attend uh, when I was at Farmer City. And for 15 of those 16 years, I was an assistant director of this camp. And I saw many, many uh, young people come to Christ at these meetings. And they were beautiful meetings. Uh, Ticey just got saved at one this, this past summer, right, Ticey? And uh, you're not embarrassed by that, right? It's a wonderful thing. 
And to see the tears flow and the hugs and the congratulations in this moment when, when, a, when a young person gives their life to Christ. And there's, I love seeing people of any age come to Christ. But there's something about a young person coming to Christ when they've got their whole life ahead of them to serve God and grow in Christ. And you think about the potential that lies in that moment. And then, two years later, three years later, five years later, you bump into them on Facebook, check their about, see what they're doing. And not only are their posts anti-Christian, grievous, but they will self-identify many times as a non-believer. This was just a phase they went through. Why does this happen? Why do they abandon their faith? We could look at a number of things. Was there bad parenting? Was there bad pastoring? Was there a lack of discipleship? All of these things are legitimate contributing factors, but at the heart of it is the inability to separate what a person truly believes from an environment and an experience. Remember a couple weeks ago when I was talking about Jim Tour, the scientist? Uh, when he shares his testimony, and I mentioned this, he, uh, a fellow, uh, a classmate of his at Syracuse shared the gospel with him. He prayed, and he was alone in his apartment or dorm room or something, and he says he had a very strong sense of the tangible presence of Jesus Christ in the room with him. It wasn't like that for me. I don't know how many of you could say it was like that for you. I poured out my heart and I received Jesus and something certainly changed about my attitude and how I felt, but I didn't come close to having a vision or a tangible experience of Jesus in the room with me. He talks about this like it was. This was a supernatural moment for him. Now, when I heard this part of his story, he was being interviewed by Eric Metaxas. Eric Metaxas, and I don't know how many of you, he's, he's a wonderful author, wrote a great biography of Bonhoeffer and, and a couple other great ones. And, uh, but now he also has a podcast where he interviews some very interesting people, and he was inter uh, interviewing Tour. Uh, and uh, Metaxas also has lately begun to attend meetings where there is a strong prophetic anointing. And his eyes have just fairly recently begun to be open to the move of the Holy Spirit in the church today. So he's very excited about this. So Tour talks about this moment. He says, since then, he says, all those years ago you had this experience. What else have you experienced where you, where you have been in that, uh, that moment where the Holy Spirit is moving and you've, you've, you have this tangible presence of God or prophetic spirit or anything like this? And, and Jim Tour said, uh, never. Other than that moment, I have never had a vision I have never had a tangible, uh, a sense of the tangible presence of God. He says, oh, I love Jesus more than ever. He says, uh, and, and I would never shut the door on that. I believe in those things. I just have never experienced it since then. He has one moment like that, but it launched him into a life of dedicated study and sharing the gospel at every single opportunity. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that challenging? But it's interesting because he knew what that one moment meant, and he's a stronger believer than ever. And remember, his belief in his job, it costs him. It costs him. 
in terms of his career. And that's really the other thing, maybe the central thing about these, what I would call, I guess, a flash-in-the-pan conversion uh, camp at a revival meeting or a, a revival service, when you are surrounded by people who are overwhelmingly in favor of your decision for Christ, then making a decision for Christ is easy. Should be. There is an immediate gratification, like I mentioned, the hugs, the welcome, the applause, the, and these are all appropriate. When somebody answers an altar call and gives their heart to Christ, I want to introduce them to their new family, and I want you to welcome them to this family. But it is going to get hard. Hear me, young people? Once you make a decision for Christ, no matter how wonderful that moment was, you will experience hardship. Your faith will be challenged. We will all find ourselves unavoidably and often surrounded by people who do not support our decision and commitment and devotion to Christ. It stops being fun. There is a reason that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, you can pick it up in verse 24, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. This is something that we're going to look at, I think, in some more detail next week. Today, I just want to point out a sad truth from the scriptures. Some will not believe, and some believers will abandon the faith. Listen to this, or look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected, concerning the faith have suffered, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, Hymenaeus and Alexander were apparently believers, or had been believers at least. What does it mean that their faith suffered, suffered shipwreck? Suffered shipwreck. What happens in a shipwreck? If you, unless a ship crashes into another ship, it gets off course. It gets off course, and therefore it encounters something, sandbars, uh, whatever uh, obstacles and hazards there are at sea, runs up on the shore, runs up on the rocks, because they get off course. And if they had stayed the course, the shipwreck wouldn't have happened. And why did they suffer shipwreck? How? Because they rejected faith and a good conscience, Right before this passage, this is what's so wonderful and important about reading things in context, right before this, Paul was writing to Timothy about the importance of what? Good doctrine. And it's pretty straightforward. You read your Bible, you sit under good teaching, you learn and know what God commands us to do. This is what I was sharing with the children before they went to class. The good conscience part is doing it. Hymenaeus and Alexander didn't run into a philosophical problem with Christianity. 
what they did was abandon a good conscience in favor of sin. This is the real choice. It's spelled out a little more clearly in another sad story, also from Paul. Uh, There's a guy in the New Testament named Demas. We don't know much about him, but we do know he was a fellow laborer with Paul. He is mentioned as being with Paul along with Luke, Mark, and others in Colossians and also in Philemon. Then we read in 2 Timothy as Paul is writing from prison, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy is often referred to as Paul's swan song. He is in prison awaiting execution. I do not know how much time passed from the writing of this letter to his actual execution, but he knows what's coming. And look at what he says next in verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Wow, this is Paul truly in his hour of need, and he has just been abandoned by perhaps his main, at this phase in his life, his main traveling companion. And why? He goes on to mention others who are no longer with him, like Titus, but it's pretty clear that their absence from Paul was due to their particular call, their responsibilities to answer the things that God had called them to do. They had to go somewhere else because God had sent them to Crete, for instance, to minister the gospel. Demas left, it says. He's singled out because he left Paul because he loved the things of this world more than the gospel. And this, my friends, I promise you, at the end of the day, is the overarching reason for atheism especially among those who once believed or claimed belief. People leave the faith because they want to sin. Aldous Huxley, the author of Brave New World and a notable atheist, wrote this. This is a very candid admission from an atheist. He writes, I had motive for not wanting the world to have a meaning consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do or why his friends should not seize political power and govern in the way that they find most advantageous to themselves. For myself... The philosophy of, meaningless, of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. You see, this is getting philosophy, religion, and truth entirely backwards. What, sh- what we should start with is what is real, what is true, what, and, and order our beliefs around this. What is good, what is right. Huxley and millions of others down through the ages, they want to start with this. What do I want to do? What will make me happy? And if Christianity or anything else is in opposition to that, well, then let's find ways that Christianity can be untrue. 
Now, this isn't to say that all atheists are horrible people or that they're all entirely abandoned to hedonism. What it's saying is simply acknowledging that without a moral law, there's no compelling reason for an atheist to be good or to behave any certain way. You know, the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. I think it was Dostoevsky who said, without God, all things are permissible. But with God, all things are not permissible. So first, people might try to twist the scripture. You know, if somebody, they're a believer. They say they're a believer. They still believe in heaven and hell, and they want desperately to believe that they have a claim on heaven. So they say, yeah, I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. But they still want to behave a certain way. They still want to cling to an old sin, uh, whatever it is. And so what they'll try to do is twist Scripture into saying something it doesn't say or, more often, deny that Scripture says what it clearly says. But eventually... We all find it's easier to say, ah, it's just a bunch of man-made stuff anyway. Why take any of it seriously? Here's another couple of examples. In Acts chapter 15, we read about Paul and Barnabas getting ready to go out on, I think, the second missionary journey, but another missionary journey. And one of their party was a guy named John. And Barnabas wanted John to go with them, and Paul refused he didn't say, ah, I'm not sure it's a great idea. He said, no, 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 this guy abandoned us last time. Remember when we were in uh, Pamphylia, I think it was? He just took off right in the middle of the trip when we needed him. I'm, I'm not going. He can't come with us. So uh, Barnabas said, fine. We'll, this was a pretty sharp argument. These were two of the earliest, boldest, most effective missionaries, and they'd traveled and done much together, Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas says, I think John's useful, and I'm going to take him with me. So you go that way. So they split. Barnabas and John went one way, and Paul and Silas went the other. And this turned out to be a good thing because churches were strengthened. The gospel was spread. But it's sad. I, I, I wouldn't want to be John. I wouldn't want to be in the Bible as being, even if it turned out for the best, I wouldn't want to be the guy that abandoned Paul on his missionary journey and caused this great team to split up in the early days. But it should remind us that people leaving is nothing new. You know, we always talk about, oh, we should have perfect unity like they did in the early church. It wasn't perfect. People left the faith back then. They had the same problems we do. There are several more stories. We could spend a lot of time on this, and we're, I'm already knowing we're going to split this up into part one and part two and, and pursue some of this stuff about the cross next week. But this one's super important. And in John chapter 6, Jesus talks about being the bread from heaven. Do you remember this? I spent a few weeks developing this and, uh, at length on Wednesday nights. It's been a few years ago now. But he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And the people were horrified. They didn't understand it. And they just respond. This is a hard saying. It's a fascinating passage. And like I said, I don't have time to exegete it this morning. But I do want you to see this. In verse 66, this is John 6, 6, 6. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Friends, it is discouraging when people leave the church. It is tragic when people abandon the faith, but please recognize this. They left Paul. They left Jesus. They will leave us. They will leave you. But don't stop praying for them. You know, Paul talked about... Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, 
and how he turned them over to Satan. He talked about a guy in the Corinthians, similarly, who was in the church, converted, a believer, but he was living a highly immoral lifestyle. And Paul said, don't encourage this guy. Don't welcome him into the fellowship. Don't let him take the Lord's Supper like nothing's wrong. I've already determined such one as this. You turn him over to, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved. What he's saying there is, let the world beat up on them. Let him experience the displeasure. Let him experience life out from under that protection that God offers. And the best thing that could happen is that will drive him back to right fellowship with the church and with God. And in that case, it did. It did. This man living the immoral lifestyle was restored because of what he experienced when Paul turned him over to Satan. Now, I'm not saying anytime somebody makes you mad, anytime somebody makes a decision that you discourage, oh, Lord, I just, I, I, I just turned this person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's a, it's a pretty, uh, something we, we shouldn't do casually. But don't stop praying for them because restoration should always be our goal. I don't know what happened with Hymenaeus and Alexander. We don't get the end of that story. Uh, there's no indication that Demas ever returned. But I do want you to see this. That guy, John, who deserted Paul on a missionary trip, you guys know what uh, his other name was, don't you? That was Mark, as in the author of the Gospel of Mark. He was an early companion of Paul. He deserted Paul, but look back at 2 Timothy, just about where we'll just pick up there in uh, chapter 4, verse 9 again. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Praise and worship team, come up here. I just want to share with you guys a couple of quick takeaways, and we'll close for this week and pick it up next week. Those of you who have made a confession of Christ, and I know that's almost everybody in here. Also those of you who are on the cusp of making a decision for Christ. Count the cost. No matter what environment you were in when you confessed Christ, please waste no time in determining what following him is going to mean. I have studied the Bible for many, many years. And while I cannot tell you exactly what your life, what your walk with Christ is going to entail, I can promise you it is not, scripturally speaking, at least, I'm not saying I've got the Bible memorized, but I cannot find anywhere where it says that following Christ is going to be sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. It is going to get hard. There will be unpleasant moments. Next, immerse yourself in good Doctrine. Doctrine is a boring word to people who just like to sing and smile and fellowship and hug and laugh and even flow in the gifts. But knowing God's word, only knowing God's word, will serve to guide you when it comes to decision making. What to do, what to avoid, what is sin and what glorifies God. We have to be people of good doctrine. 
Next, remember this, obedience produces good conscience. You learn the word so you can do the word. And this will not only yield a great reward for you in heaven, but it will also make you a more effective minister here. Finally, as I just said, don't give up on those who leave. No matter how dramatically they abandon the faith, they can be brought back. Remember John Mark. Amen. Stand up with me. Next week, I don't have a title yet, but it's going to be about our cross and the fear of God. And it's really keeping the faith part two. Here's my invitation. Sinner, backslider, come home. Stop fooling around with this. Stop kidding yourself. If you are a sinner who does, has never confessed Christ, confess him today. He is the hound of heaven. He's not going to leave you alone. We're not going to leave you alone. Believers who love you are not going to leave you alone. Just surrender already. It's the life you were created to lead. The sin that you love, the world that you are trying to please, has nothing for you. No matter how much you love the world, the world ultimately is not going to love you back, not eternally. It has one paycheck waiting for you, and it's death. That's what sin offers you ultimately. Oh, it, it, it's pleasant in the moment. Drugs is a great illustration of sin in general. Can't tell you how many crackheads I talked to in my day at Canaan Land who all said the same thing. Nothing ever felt as good as that first puff of crack but we spent the rest of our resources, our families, our money, everything. We wrecked our lives trying to recapture that first puff of crack, and it was never the same. Cost them their health, cost them their families, cost them everything, nearly everything, before they threw themselves into the arms of Christ. But it's not just crack, it's not just drugs, it's not just substance abuse, it's sin in general that will fool you like that. Don't waste another day, sinner come home to Christ. Backslider, you made a confession of Christ and you know deep down inside you believe. Don't fool around with this. You think you can straddle the fence. I'm not going to deny Christ, but I'm going to enjoy my sinful lifestyle. Sooner or later, your doctrine will crumble, your conscience will crumble, and you will abandon the faith. And then you are lost unless God in his mercy allows, the, allows you to survive long enough for the devil to beat up on you long enough to drive you back into his arms. Heavenly Father, you know the heart of every man and woman in this room today. You know who belongs to you at this moment. And Father, I know and rejoice in the fact that Jesus died for all of them, all of us. You have made salvation available to every person in this room. So now, Lord, I pray from the bottom of my heart that you touch those who have not availed themselves of that gift that you make it loud and clear to them that you are calling them home today, that you love them, that you paid for them. All you want is for them just to throw themselves into your arm, step out into the life that you set before them. But you're the only one who can do it, Lord. Your Holy Spirit has been sent, has been given to convict the sinner of their need for Christ. So do that now, Holy Spirit. And as you do, grant them the boldness to step out now and receive that gift. 
the wisdom to recognize their need for that gift and the humility to come, bow their knee, and confess you as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody desire to make that decision today to come to Christ or to come back to Christ? Step out now and come up here and let me pray with you. Can't I do it from my seat? Yeah, you can, but why? Let us rejoice with you. We're going to have to know about it sooner or later. You can't be a, a secret Christian is not a Christian. I'm convinced of that. And every, po- can I, I haven't done this in a while, but feel free to look around the room. Raise your hand if you were saved in a moment like this, where you answered an altar call and walked to the aisle in front of other people. Look around, everybody. This is not unusual. This is a good way to give your life to Christ. It's a great way to give your life back to Christ. Anybody, right now, please, please, please don't waste another minute. I'm getting hungry. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to go out with a song, right? Actually, I want you to think about this for just another minute. This is not just about you. I'm speaking now to the backslider, the believer who says, I'm saved, pretty sure I'm still saved, pretty sure I'm never going to stop believing, I'm never just going to thumb my nose at God and say, no, I don't believe it anymore, but... I know how I want to live. Fine. Do you not care about the effect your life has on those that you love who need that same saving power of Jesus Christ operating in their life? Do you not care that hell is a real place? Are you that selfish? I think about that video of, uh, of uh, Pendulette who's an atheist, still an atheist as far as I know, but a guy came up out of the crowd and handed him a Bible, and he had written a little thing in the inside cover. And he was so stunned by this, and he made this video where he's just looking at his camera saying, I I don't know what to say about this. He goes, I'm not a believer. I don't believe the Bible's true, but this guy did. He says, and if you believe, how much do you have to hate a person not to tell somebody else about it? I just add that to my invitation. We're going to sing, and I'm just going to stand here. And if during this next couple minutes you decide, yeah, you know what? Today is my day. Nothing will make me happier than to pray with you during this song. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.